So it can really and is really being used as a weapon to some extent, correct? Yeah, it very much can be. And there are instances where cyber more broadly has been used as a weapon. And there are instances where it's used for ransomware attacks or whatnot, just destabilizing the system. But there is a risk of that for sure. You are listening to the Siemens Energy Podcast Series. The energy sector is undergoing an unprecedented transformation, presenting both challenges and opportunities. The demand for energy is increasing worldwide. And at the same time, we must combat the effects of climate change and reduce CO2 emissions. On each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the world's cutting-edge thought leaders in energy and related subjects. Our goal is to help you understand energy, the challenges we face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources. Siemens Energy is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Siemens Energy. The views expressed by guests and hosts are their own, and their appearances on this program do not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Siemens Energy employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of Siemens Energy or any of its officials. Hello. Today we welcome Randy Bell, Senior Director and Richard Morningstar Chair for Global Energy Security at the Atlantic Council. As a renowned expert in energy security, we invited Randy to share his insights into the increasingly ubiquitous role that cyber plays as both society and industry navigate through the energy transition. Welcome, Randy. Thanks so much for inviting me to be here. It's always a pleasure. Let's begin by learning a bit more about your role with the Atlantic Council and your background as it relates to global energy security. Thanks so much. So I've been with the Global Energy Center for for how many years now? Four, four plus years. But my background is varied. I started off making documentary films right out of college, got interested in foreign policy and worked on foreign policy issues for a while on the security side, including including some cybersecurity issues as well as other issues. And then at the Atlantic Council, started working on energy. And my work at the council has touched on any number of issues related to energy security and climate. And that intersection, I think, is really interesting, where you start to look at the questions about making sure that everyone has access to affordable and reliable energy at the same time as we transition from one dominant source of energy to a whole new system. It makes the energy security challenge much more complicated. I think that the energy transition challenge is actually harder because of the energy security concerns that we have throughout it. And so we have to be sure to take both into account at the same time. Yeah, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I wanted to start by with a basic question for you. I think it's fair to say that many people are still uncertain as to what exactly cyber is. That's until we notice a strange behavior on our laptop or our mobile phone indicating something's wrong. Is there a simpler way we can contextualize cybersecurity? The security piece is making sure that the cyber domain is secure. So you think breaking into two parts, which is cyber, which is the domain that we're working in when we're doing this interview, for instance, we're doing this over the internet, digitally connected. And then security piece is making sure that it's secure. If it's private, people can't see it so that the, the domain is not used for illicit purposes so that the connections that the domain allows, whether those are secure financial connections or communication or the storage of data or the transference of commands from a operator to a system, that those all reach their intended recipient, that they're not diverted or manipulated within. So I think it's important just breaking it into two pieces. And then that I think helps people understand 
better what cybersecurity really means. Got it. Thank you for that. Now, going back to what you said a few minutes ago about security and climate, the intersection of climate change with cyber or security of the energy sector, can you explain a little bit more and talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Because I don't think most people coordinate those two things together, climate change or climate and cybersecurity. They seem totally separate, but you see an intersection of the Absolutely. two. Cyber risk is inherent across any system that is digitally connected, that has a digital element. So the current energy system, whether you're talking about a power plant or an oil pipeline, a cargo ship shipping uh, coal or, or oil or an LNG tanker or whatnot, they're all digitally connected. So it's really the digital connectivity piece that brings about the cyber risk. Now, because you're talking about the energy sector, you're talking about what is critical infrastructure. And so it actually really matters to our daily lives. And the Colonial Pipeline incident is a really great example where you had a ransomware attack that ended up shutting down a pipeline and reducing the ability for people to access gasoline on the East Coast for a little while. Now, that's the current energy system. As we move to a more uh, sustainable energy system, we all presume that it will be dominated by renewables, but there are other sources of clean energy as well, but renewables will play a part. We also, and to manage renewables, you need to be very digitally connected because you've got, they're highly variable. You have to be able to manage how all these different assets interact with each other. And if you just think about it, you, to get the same power from one power plant, you need many more solar panels or wind turbines, and each one of those is connected. And so what happens as you're moving to a clean energy system is you connect it's much more digitally enabled, so it's much more connected to the internet, and you have many more assets on the digital system because you're doing demand response, because you have a smart thermostat, because you have, uh, you're have you working on energy efficiency. You've got all these different pieces. There are many more threat vectors that you have to be thinking about. So if you think Colonial was a big deal, you just have to think that there are many more opportunities for, for cyber attack in, as the world becomes more digital. And I think the risks that you touched on are very visible lately. We've seen a lot of this. We've heard a lot of this going on. Can you talk a little bit more about the risks that maybe geopolitical agendas play into this? The fun thing about cyber is that there's often plausible deniability. So states will say that they didn't do it, somebody else, and harder to attribute attacks to a state than to, than say, just a traditional kinetic attack. But nonetheless, we're getting better at that. And what is that cyber plays a role in the actions of various governments around the world. The U.S. has uh, obviously cyber capabilities, the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, the Israelis, the North Koreans. Those are some of the major actors, not all. And you see the way in which geopolitical competition can shape the, the use of cyber attacks on what would be critical infrastructure or civilian systems. And so there's reporting that, for instance, the Russian state is in our electric grid, and there's not much to do we can do about that, at least in a unclassified setting. We're not hearing much about that. And then the ransomware attacks that we're hearing a lot about, there is perhaps a level more removed from state actors, but it's often unclear if those are sanctioned by states or States are allowing these actors to operate within their borders and helping facilitate them as just part of a destabilizing effort. Cyber can be just the, the guy in his basement, and you hear about that a lot, but it's often very sophisticated and has the support of states, which make it much, much more complicated and make the kinds of responses that you would have against that even more complicated because it involves broader relationships and uh, fears of escalation outside the cyber domain. 
So it can really and is really being used as a weapon to some extent, correct? Yeah, it very much can be. And there are instances where cyber more broadly has been used as a weapon. And there are instances where it's used for ransomware attacks or whatnot, just destabilizing the system. But there is a risk of that for sure. And that brings me to another question. Some of these smaller municipalities that have their own power systems that they're operating, they don't have the sophistication. A lot of them don't have the capital investment in cyber protection. Do you see those as being targets, say, more so than the large utility companies, or is everybody fair game right now? Everybody's fair game. The difference, as you say, is that the the smaller companies really don't have the resources to manage the level of threat that we're seeing. And whether these are, again, the whole range of actors, they nonetheless don't have the ability to to manage that. And it's a resource question. And so that brings up the, the question of how much government should be involved and what are the roles and responsibilities across the private sector? What responsibilities do individuals have? What responsibility does the government have and what different levels and parts of the government have? Because it is critical infrastructure, because lives are at risk, Though, the, though these municipalities simply don't have the resources to manage it, we really have to think about this holistically. And those are also, because they don't have the resources, weak spots, we, the weak, weak links in the chain, if you, as, if you will, where because they're mo- more vulnerable, you can get there and, and have more immediate impact uh, much faster. And that's something I think a lot of these smaller municipalities have to be concerned about, along with digitalization, because they're all trying to adopt digitalization. And as you said, that can be risk prone as well. And that can be a difficult, something difficult for them to navigate. And the investment portion, I think, is very critical. And you've talked about that, I think, before in some of your webinars and such that you said it's resiliency, not just protection, that's important. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two and how they work together? So what you want to make sure that you both invest in security on the one hand and resiliency on the other. So security is preventing the attack, but you're not going to be able to prevent every attack, particularly if you're one of these smaller municipalities. But nobody really can, as we're just seeing pretty regularly. And so what you want to do is build for resilience as well, so that if you attack, you you fail gracefully and then are able to rebuild without causing systematic damage. I mean, this is really important for critical infrastructure like energy, where you want to be able to fail, not have not impact other resources, not become the single point of failure that impacts the entire system, and then be able to come back online. And so really, as we're thinking through the energy transition, we should be building these assets with both security and resilience in mind from the beginning. And do you think the costs are coming down for that type of resiliency operations? Do you think it's becoming more reasonable for companies to obtain this resilient infrastructure that they need? Yeah, there are obviously a lot of folks who are working on this and the costs are coming down and the solutions are getting easier. Artificial intelligence will play an important role both on the security side and the resilience side by being able to identify threats much faster and then also helping make decisions much faster so that assets can be disconnected or whatnot and then and not impact others. So yeah, there is a real opportunity to continue to bring the cost down through artificial intelligence and other technologies like that. Interesting. 
And some have said that the move to clean energy will result in less risks from cyber, even going as far as saying renewables could be the solution to solving cyber. But you disagree. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, any number of great reasons why we need to move to a cleaner energy system that involves a lot of renewable energy. That's absolutely the way that we should be going. However, I think that there, it's not... We should not be looking at this with our eyes closed. As I said, the more digitally connected assets, the more opportunities there are for a cyber attack. At the same time, none of those have to be catastrophic like it would be if you took out an entire power plant, if you were to take out, say, a single wind turbine, for instance, not necessarily as catastrophic if they're built in such a way that it doesn't impact the entire system. Now, that's only certain types of attacks. It's more complicated than that, of course. There are ways of managing it, but yeah, you are creating more risk into the system by having more distributed assets being run by a wider array of people. People have rooftop solar. All of a sudden you're playing in the power sector In consumers are playing in the power sector in a way that used to be left to the professionals. So it's just more actors, more surfaces for attack and more digitally enabled. So that risk, I think, is greater in a clean energy. I know when I was growing up, I never heard about cybersecurity in the energy industry or in the power grid or anything like that. It was never even talked about. And now it's almost part of the everyday conversation and the importance of it is gaining so much traction. So what do you think most people believe about cyber that may be misunderstood or misconstrued? I think it's complicated, right? It can be expensive, but it can be more expensive if you don't do it, right? Frankly, most people, myself included in this, don't really understand what it looks like and what it actually means. So I think that that sort of baseline of education is really important. But also, I think most people don't really understand how catastrophic it can be. Now, that's changing. With Colonial earlier this year and and just the number of attacks that we're seeing, I think that the public perception of cyber risk is increasing and getting more sophisticated. What I just wish is that the perception didn't have to be the result of the impacts of cyber attacks, if we could have an education campaign that is ultimately doesn't come with those costs. Do you have anything that you would advise the utilities and even the smaller companies in in terms of cyber resiliency and protection? Would you advise that they take it on as a key part of their strategy moving forward and and not just add it on as as an uh, afterthought. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to build for this. You've got to make it part of your strategy. The costs will be much greater later on if you don't. And take advantage of the new tools that are coming online, that are becoming available for that are cheaper, that enable you to take action without spending too much money, and then work with partners and work with bigger utilities as well. This is something that you can't just shove under the rug. If you don't act, it will come back to get you. And what are some of the biggest things that you've learned working on this topic in terms of going the oh wow moment? something that really has has lit a fire under you, as they say, that the importance of this. And recently working with the Atlantic Council, can you talk a little bit more about some of the projects you've worked on? We're right now leading a, a task force on cybersecurity and the energy transition. I think the oh wow came when we were talking to a group of people in the financial sector who are real experts at understanding risk. And that's in many ways is their job is to understand the risk that's associated with the assets they invest in. And as I said earlier, it's really hard to get your head around what cyber is. The financial sector, not 
thinking that this was a risk that they needed to manage, essentially outsourcing that risk to someone else and saying it's somebody else's problem. The assets that they own are going to face these risks. And if they don't understand it, they are not fully comprehending the whole risk profile of their investments. That was a pretty big oh wow moment for me. And I think Colonial certainly sent that signal out as Mm -hmm. well. People suddenly sat up and took notice. As we wrap up here, your final thoughts. I think if I had one piece of advice to give everyone after listening to this, it's change your password and change it often. Of course, everybody should practice good cyber hygiene. I can never remember any of my passwords anymore because I keep changing them so often. But good cyber hygiene is just a great place to start. Update your security, et cetera. This is something that everybody has got to be involved in. It's like making sure you you lock your doors to your house, lock your car doors. There are things that we all can do as individuals to have better cyber hygiene. And that's an important takeaway also. And so from the energy perspective, one last time, you think that we're making progress, that we're moving forward with the resiliency needed to protect against these cyber attacks, but it's got to be ongoing and it can't be an afterthought. I think people are waking up to it. There definitely is more momentum than there was a few years ago, but it's still not enough. And Colonial was a big deal, but in the end, nobody got hurt. It slowed things down for a little while. So let's hope that that was enough to get people to wake up and pay attention. And uh, let's hope that prevents more serious attacks with much greater ramifications. Any final thoughts before we end? I think you captured it all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Randy. And now if our listeners want to find out more about the work being done at the Atlantic Council, specifically what you're working on and, and things that are going on there that relate to cyber, where can they go? Go to the Atlantic Council website, which is atlanticcouncil.org. Great. Thank you again, Randy. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at siemens-energy.com forward slash podcast.